Good morning, VCF. Uh, I'm very glad to be able to speak to you, even though I'm not around. I'm in uh, somewhere on the plane, probably, trying to get back as close to 10 o'clock as possible. If you see me on the screen, it will mean that I didn't manage to make it. Uh, the flight, my flight was postponed or it was uh, pushed back. And so because of that, we find ourselves uh, in this situation. But I do have a word that I'd like to share with you. And I feel uh, quite burdened in this word because I feel it's particularly important for the days that we're living in. I'd like us to pray together and we can begin. Lord, we welcome your presence. We thank you that your presence comes in any variety of ways and you're not limited by the medium or the media. And so we welcome you. We welcome you. We, we do not want just a message, but we want you in the fullness of your presence. So come and speak to us. We ask you that you speak in such a way that uh, we have not we're not just learn, learning or hearing from a generalized voice, but from you personally. And so we give you our time, give you our hearts for you to do whatever you will with them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you a passage from a passage of Scripture that has to do with um, what I believe God is doing in our, in our midst. It's in Isaiah chapter 52. And uh, before we go into this passage, I thought I'd share with you something that happened for me over a period of years leading up to the time that I gave my life back to God in college. Uh, one of the things that uh, was I struggled with uh, in my Christian faith was to know whether God really existed and whether the Christian way was really the true way. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family, but I'd never seen miracles before. I'd never seen the reality of God in a tangible way. And the more and more I, I shared my faith with my non-Christian friends, in fact, most of my friends were non-Christians, I found that they had the same kind of question that I had. What is it that makes your Christianity really that different from other religions? If it's a matter of ethics, uh, they were saying that, well, if it's a matter of ethics, Christianity is maybe slightly superior to other religions, but there's not that much different. Uh, and so the usual argument was this, I, 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 I know Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Taoist people who are very moral, very, very ethical. In fact, better than you Christians are. And I was stumped with that. But the, that was the question of my heart as well. The, but the, the real question in my heart was informed by what I'd written, written of Scripture, read of Scripture. And that had to do with the fact that in Scripture, I see a different kind of experience of God than what I actually see in the church. There seems to be something quantumly, infinitely more real, more full of God's love and more vibrant, more miraculous, more supernatural, more of God's nature, more that I would have expected that a God would be able to do than what I could see in church, in Christian circles. It was almost as if, if I were so bold as to say this, which I was not at that time, it seems as if Christians have this little secret in which we give a wink to, and that is that we say that God is a God of miracles, that God shows and manifests Himself in the glory, of the, like the glory that was on Moses' face. But we don't actually see it. And for some reason, the elephant in the room was the fact that we, the Bible talks about all these things, and we praise God in our hymns and our songs about all these things, but we don't actually experience it. It's almost as if the treasure of the church, the real distinct power in, the, in this earthen vessels seem to be missing, seem to be missing. The identity of Christianity that did not seem to lie in a God who was powerful and powerfully loving in such a way that He could actually show Himself, like the Bible. Uh, expresses. So I found myself 
wandering around in the wilderness, almost giving up that this God that we read about in the Bible is actually who he says he is. I thought that maybe the Bible is written in a certain uh, uh, vernacular that kind of exaggerates these things. And so all the friends that I had in, uh, in college were stuck in that sense because I could not produce the evidence that this God was alive. But when I was filled with the Holy Spirit and the charismatic movement came to Kuala Lumpur and I saw the change and I saw things happening and I saw God manifesting Himself, I was so filled with hope because for the first time I, in, my, in my life, I could see in real time that God really was real. He was everything that the Bible says He was. I saw legs growing out. I saw situations in which my mom was feeding lots of people in our house and she had this much of rice. And when she, the people started coming, the rice expanded, the fried rice expanded. To such an extent, we were able to feed everybody. I saw so many miracles. I saw visions. I saw uh, manifestations of God. Very, very accurate. I saw little kids being used by Him in such a way that miracles were taking place. Very, very uncanny and accurate prophecies, words of knowledge were being done by these people. And I suddenly saw... The treasure of Christianity, whatever you call it, is real. It has substance and it's right there. And so, in many ways, this identity of Christianity, this, this mark of the Christian, the mark of the Christian faith, was something that in the Old Testament was present in the Old Testament saints as well. And God gave the people of God, the temple, the presence of God from which the presence of God would flow out into their ordinary life, so much so that God would manifest himself there. Now, when you come to Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 52 speaks into an Israel, the people of God, who have lost that, who have lost their identity and have taken on the identity and the ambitions that the world had and they wanted to be like all the other nations. And as a result of that, they had no distinct uh, character, and as a result of that also, they lost their ministry, they lost their anointing, and as, and as a result of that, subsequently, they lost their freedom. They were um, left in ruins by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, etc. And so Isaiah comes to the nation of Israel who has forgotten who they were. They had forgotten their identity and forgotten their treasure. They, have, they, ha they had lost the treasure that makes them a people of God who could be a witness to the world, not just in word, but in actual deed. And so I'd like to, 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 to read with this with you because my own story in some ways has a lot to do with this passage that we're going to read because I believe that this passage has to do with God restoring to the church its supernatural identity, its identity that is with God. Amen? I want, to, I, want to, I want to read this to you. And so Isaiah says to Israel in the midst of its ruin, Awake, awake, clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus is the Lord. You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. For thus is the Lord God. My people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what do I do here? What do I have here? declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl, and that my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Therefore, verse 6, the reversal of this sad state of affairs, verse 6, um, denotes. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day I am the one who is speaking, here I am, 
So there are these threefold treasures of Israel, which I believe are the treasure of the church, VCF. That we will know His name, know who He is. That we will know His voice that He is speaking and be able to distinguish His voice from every other voice. And thirdly, know His presence, here I am. That I am the one who is speaking, here I am. And we'll stop here for a little bit because I want to put it to you that actually what God is doing is that He's restoring His nature and, and, uh, and the identity of the church to us. There's a special, there's a special uh, inlaid message that I believe God has for us as a church as well. Because every church has a treasure. Every church has a distinct treasure. And VCF has a distinct treasure. I'll put it to you that VCF's distinct treasure is very much related to these threefold things that we will know God intimately for who He is. And by doing that, we find our identity not in ourselves, looking into ourselves, but looking into God and knowing who He is. So that God is no longer the projection of all our ideas of what good should be upon uh, some cosmic, infinite uh, identity. We will know who He is, who He's not as well. We'll be able to distinguish who He is from all the things we hope that He would be or that we have grown up thinking that He is. That we will know His voice, that He's speaking, that it is Him in con- contradistinction to everyone, every other voice. And thirdly, we'll know His presence. If you are, a, if you are a, per, a person who God has brought to VCF, I would put boldly to you that God is not satisfied unless these treasures are deeply embedded in your personality and your identity and, and who you are. That you know God for who He is. You know His voice in distinction from every other voice, your own voice as well. And you also know His presence in your life as well. And so Isaiah chapter 52 speaks about this rediscovery of who we are. The rediscovery of the treasure of who Israel is. The treasure that they have that they were living separate from. So many Christians are living lives in which they don't have this treasure. They don't manifest this treasure. They live lives in which if my friends who are non-Christians in college will meet them, they would not be convinced that Jesus is alive. But there came a time in which when I was in college, all my cynical friends, my skeptical friends, almost all of them became Christians, not because of the fact that I could out-talk them, but because of the fact that they saw the treasure. They saw how real God was. And for some of them, they saw it to such an extent that they became fearful for their own lives because it exposed what was in their, uh, their hearts. This is the God that we have. And at this, point, at this point in the life of the church, I felt very exercised, very burdened in our heart, my heart to ask the question, do we as a church have the treasure that God so desires every one of us to have. In many ways, we can do as a church many, many things, many good things. And many ways, we can judge ourselves or judge our church according to the criteria that we have in terms of what makes a good Christian or what makes a good person. But may I, may I suggest to you that for us as a church, there is a peculiar treasure that God has bequeathed to us and He has anointed us for, to know Him, know Him deeply and intimately, so that in knowing Him, we have the strength, in spite of all kinds of pressures, to do exploits in the midst of that. That's really another way of saying to know Him, His voice, to know His name, and know His presence. I want to put it to you that we are at this special time in the year or in our history in which I feel God 
strongly desiring us to take cognizance not just of the things that make us good people, but the things that He is wanting to give to us as a church and that He has inlaid into the ground of our fellowship. All right, let's have a look at this. How? How does this actually happen? All right? It's, it'll become as a surprise to you that to find our identity, we actually may have to look the opposite direction from where we usually find it. Okay, let's have a look at it. It says in verse 1, Awake, awake, clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments. Wow. It's almost as if to find who you are, you don't look within your own experiences, within your own resonances, or within your own self, or within your own uh, personality, to find who you are. You actually put it on. Who you are is put on. Can you believe it? That sounds totally not authentic. It sounds totally the opposite of how people would say who we are. We need to be authentic, so we have to be true to our feelings, true to our desires, true to our own um, um, uh, subjectivities, true to our own um, uh, experiences. But here, what God is saying is this, Israel, you may have that, but that is not where your identity lies. Your identity lies in the fact that you are to be clothed with my anointing. He says, put on your strength. Put on your strength. Put on your beautiful garments. And these were the garments of the priests. The idea that God is giving to the children of Israel is that they have lost their identity. They've lost their ability to become a priest. The priest carries upon his robes, blue robes, speaking of heaven, white uh, cotton bices that speaks of the purity of, 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 of God's redemption in us. Gold speaks of kingly royalty and authority. Precious stones speaking of the fact that through much fire, we actually come forth with things that are precious, precious things that, that, that are the desire of the world. Many, many things. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a headpiece as well, a gold band around it, speaking of the mind of God. Later on, we can call it in the New Testament, the mind of Christ. But he says, put on these garments. These garments are the garments that connect humankind's needs with heaven's resources that we as a church and, and Israel as a people were called to be intercessors, called to be priestly people, not to bring us into more ritual, but to bring us into that space in which humankind's needs, humankind's suffering can be brought face to face with God's resources so much so that in our ministry, in the anointing that God gives to us, that He clothes us with, miracles can cause God's resources and man's needs or humankind's needs to be met. When God is saying to Israel, put on your beautiful garments, put on your strength, what He's saying is this, you have to put on that which is beyond your own psychology, beyond your own personality, beyond your own experiences, beyond what resonates with your, your own feelings. It is something other than that. Now we are used to going by what resonates with us. That's fine. That's, that's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's a way in which the Spirit gives us that resonance. But what he, this is saying is not that. It's actually speaking in, in the opposite direction. It's saying, if you really want to know what your identity is, you do not look within yourself, but you look towards God. You look towards the Scriptures. You look towards what God says objectively over against your own subjectivities. Therefore, you need to not look to yourself for your own identity. Your personality is not who you are. Your personality, who you are, is not the same thing as who your person, what your personality is or your personality type. Who you are is who God says you are, who, how God addresses you, what God has clothed upon you and bequeathed to you and, and made as, as Christ in you. That is why... The, the language of the Bible is different. In, in Colossians chapter 3 says, so put on righteousness. Put on love. Put on these things. Amen? This is what God has called us to. If you want to find 
the restoration of God's identity in you, you cannot look within yourself. Because if you do, you will circumscribe everything you experience from God according to the conception or the personality idea that you have of yourself, your own self-identification. Everything that God does, does will have to fit in who you think you are. And what I want to put it to you is this, Isaiah chapter 52 doesn't start with who you are and then you add to it God so that it resonates with what things that you, your history is. No, what God is saying here is that you become a different person. And that person is not seen, is, cannot be reduced to your psychology or your personality or your experience or what people observe of you or what people think of you or what people say of you and what people say to you or what people think you're gifted for. That's really important. You can't start with looking at yourself. When you look at yourself, you will find someone else. You will find who you are in the flesh. Now, it is true that with the resurrection of Jesus, God actually has put, Christ, put Himself in us so much so that He will retrieve and redeem many things about our own personality. But, if you, can't, but you cannot start with your personality as the framework from which you conceive of Christ's, Christ's uh, identity in you. When Christ came, He came as a different, different one. That is why in the Old Testament, every time the anointing came upon Saul or Moses, or upon Gideon, upon Samson, they became as a different man. And the, and the scriptures are cl- clear. They are careful to, 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 to distinguish not the similarity between their personality and the anointing, and the anointed uh, 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 office that they had, but the difference between those things. That's why Moses, he was a very timid man but he held great authority. There is something that's important for us to actually get, that who we are is not what psychological man, uh, according to Carl Truman, or what who we are identified with in ourselves, in our own resonances. We start not with what resonates with us, because we ourselves are not the control of who God says we are. Our identity is given from outside of ourselves. And that is why I love the, the, um, the words that we, we see in Isaiah 52. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. It's not being inauthentic. It is saying that who, am I, who I am in and of myself, in my own my flesh, is diseased. And it has to go to the cross. And when Christ died on the cross, for me to become a Christian, I had to die to all this. And God slew it on the cross. It was crucified with Him, whether I like it or not. It had no future. It had to be brought down from the cross. It had to be buried in the tomb. When Christ rose again, I rose with Him. I rose with Him to a new personality. More importantly, I rose to Him to a new identity. So that even, even when there are vestiges of my own personality, My identity is who I am, not my personality. In the absence of an identity from God, human beings today have become very psychologized in terms of who their identity is because it's identified with personality. Okay, I won't uh, flog a dead horse. Let's carry on. So let's close yourself in your beautiful garments. How do we do that? We will talk about it in a few moments. O Jerusalem, the holy city. Now here's, here's further evidence for what I'm saying. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, these very distinct identifications of who Israel was. O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Okay, what he's saying is this. Clothe yourself in your new identity that's distinct from every other identity because, okay, for, for the reason that there will no longer come to you the uncircumcised and the unclean. What is God saying? What He's saying is this, 
the distinction between identities doesn't have anything to do with our ability, our ethnicity, our personal traits, our personality traits, or anything like that. It has nothing to do with our qualifications, what school we went to, what team we support, what kind of talents and gifts we have, whether we are right brain or left brain. It has nothing to do with that. The, distinct, the distinctive identity that we have, that who, who God calls us, who God names us, has less to do with those things that people attach to themselves to give themselves an identity, usually but by calling forth their gifts or whatever it is, or their abilities. It has to do with whether we are circumcised or not. Who I am in God has nothing to do with the fact that I'm Malaysian. Who am I in God has to do with, with whether I'm dedicated to the Lord, I'm circumcised or not, whether the flesh has been dealt with or, or the flesh has, is, is my personality or my identity. What he's saying is this, the main distinction is not the kind of distinction we make among ourselves when we say this person is smart, this person is not smart, this person is scientific, this person is very artistic, this person is creative, or this person is more technical. That has nothing to do with, with the identity of God. The identity of God slices and splits it apart from the point of view of circumcised and not circumcised. It has to do with whether we are given over to the Lord, separated unto the Lord, or not separated unto the Lord. Whether we are separated unto God or, or, or we are in the flesh. Can you see this? This is, this is most important here. What he's saying is this. Put on your garments. You can wear these garments because you're not going to be the uncircumcised. You are not going to be among the uncircumcised. He's not saying that he's, you're sort of separate yourself. What he's saying is this. You are not going to be enroded by the flesh. And so what I want to put it to you is this. Whether you are raising your children or not, or whether you have ambitions for yourself, you have to, like I do, put to death any kind of distinction we make in terms of identifying or valuing people in the church or outside based upon whether they are smart or not smart, rich or poor, drive the nice car or don't drive a nice car, speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues, male or female, black or white, purple or, 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 or blue. You never, never, never make that as an identifier of, person, of, of, of identity. And so, may I put it to you that actually what God is doing is that He's changing or He's renewing His treasure in us. The treasure is who we are in God. And the worst thing would be to start by looking within yourself and then letting God's anointing fit into that. The reason why I say this is that after many years in ministry, even in VCF, I have been given to questioning, reflecting on what God has been raising in our church. Knowing that there is a tremendous treasure that God is raising a people who can hear His voice, who know His presence, who know Him firsthand firsthand, and who identify themselves as dead and only alive to God. I have to ask the question, how's that going in VCF? How's that going with us? Is God fitting in to your personality or the kind of shape of your life that you have already um, prescribed for yourself? Or has that been blown off? and blown away, and God puts upon you, on your nothingness, His own word and His own identity. I am only who God calls me and names me. And you can tell. You can tell it by the fruit in our lives. 
I find myself often being brutally, uh, brutally um, scrutinizing of my own life and the life of the church. And I have to ask the question, how strong is the treasure? The treasure of knowing his name, knowing his voice, knowing his presence in you, in me. How strong is it? Does it fit into your own personality type? Or does your personality get molded around this thing, this treasure that has its own shape? and bids us shape ourselves around it. I, I feel that this is something that um, Isaiah 52 speaks about. Isaiah, the nation of Israel had uh, become seduced by the values and the glory of the world, of Assyria, of Egypt, of Syria. They had been seduced by the ways of the world. They wanted a king like every other nation. And when they rejected Samuel as a judge and rejected the judges, uh, God says, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They rejected me because they wanted a king and they wanted to be like the other nations because their value system was really very much based upon the world's value system. And as a result of that, they couldn't shine. They couldn't enter into the world's value system without being corrupted. God wants us to be in the world, completely entering into the land, into the world. But we have to have the treasure. And the treasure must have regnant power over our uh, structures and all our own prescribed things. So he says, verse 3, verse 2, Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For well, thus is the Lord, you are sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without, without money. And so uh, Isaiah speaks about the fact that Israel sold its birthright. It sold its birthright to the world because they found the things of the world more attractive. But in seeking after the world, those things actually became like the hasty fruit of summer in Isaiah chapter 28. The, attracti- the attractiveness of these things began to be less, uh, less firm and they, became, they, they, they got swept along. A co- a, a, along with the, the things that they were hounding after. I believe that God has called us into the world. I believe that He's called us into our lands. But we cannot go there half-baked, half-worldly and half-spiritual. We can't go there into the world hoping that God's way of infusing us with the anointing is by fitting it into our own preferences, our own resonances. We have to put on Christ. And so, uh, verse, uh, verse 4 onwards, uh, Isaiah speaks to the nation of Israel. And he says, My people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there, and then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause, without need, without need for that. Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. You see, God never intended for His people to live that, in that oppression. And now is the time where God was speaking to them. Now I want you to put on strength. Take off those, take off those chains. Take off those, uh, those manacles and chains around your neck. Verse 6, the reversal of that then, God says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. Here's the treasure. How do we actually put on Christ? If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, there's a very interesting passage in Colossians chapter 3 which I will call the great put-on. Talk about authenticity. It's almost as if Paul uses very simple language to describe this exchange. But now, verse 8, you also put them all aside. Put what? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. All those things, okay? Put them all aside. 
It doesn't say fight them. It says put them all aside. Why? Because Christ has already defeated their power. If by faith you accept his, 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 uh, his victory over sin, flesh, and the devil, and by faith you receive his power, you just put it aside. You may have to put it aside many, many times, every day, thousands of times, but you can put it aside. Each time, God will give you the power to do that. But you do it by faith, not by your own striving. Verse 8, but now also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Put them aside. Put them aside. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self who is being renewed in a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I'll say it again. And put on the new self who is being renewed. How is this new self, re- new self renewed? It is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So what he's saying is this. You put on the new self. When Christ has become your life, you put him on by faith. You receive him and you, and you say, Christ, you are my life now. I am who I put on. I am no longer that mesh of experiences and subjectivities inside my soul. I don't look within myself under my shirt to see where I, who I am. I look to Him and I put Him on. Now, look at it. Look at it this way. He's saying it's renewed in knowledge of Him. Does that make, does that make sense? It says, put on the new self with it's being renewed to a new knowledge according to the image of the one who created Him. What He's saying is this. You don't look in yourself to renew yourself you look to Him and the knowledge that comes from Him will renew the Christ in you more and more and more and more daily. What He's saying is this. How can we know Christ and who we are? How can we know our identity? By looking at, not myself, but in Christ. Every day I op- open the, 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 my, my heart, my face towards God, and I look to Him. I do not look to myself to know myself. I look to God to know who I am in Him. That's really important because Christianity is not a religion of introspection. We don't try to find ourselves to know ourselves better by looking within ourselves and finding what's our personality, what our strengths, our weaknesses, and, and introspecting too much. We look to who we are, not in this mass of fleshly chemistry, but we look to Him. I can only be renewed in Him when I look to Him and allow Him to speak to me. Amen? I can only know who I am truly if who I am is being renewed of as Christ renewing Himself in me, because I am dead. All that stuff of my own subjectivity has been put to the cross. It exists, but its power is no longer regnant of my life, no longer prevailing over my life. In order for me to know who I really am, my, who, who my, who my, what my real person, uh, uh, personhood is, is to look towards God. It's, it's renewed. Every day, every morning when I spend time with Him and I and I wait upon Him, and I look to the Scripture, I open the Scriptures, and, and the Scriptures tell me about who God is, I realize this, this, this description of Jesus, this description of God, is the description of who I really am clothed with. If I try to find out too much about myself, if I try to find out too much about my history, that has some value. But if my but identity is identified with that, then I will lose the treasure of who God has made in me. And so what Paul is, Paul is saying is this, put on Christ. Put on in this renewed understanding 
who you know Christ to be and you begin to walk in Him. Let's have a look at this. this see, and this becomes really powerful in chapter, in, in chapter 3. Put on the new self who is being renewed to a new knowledge according to the image of the one who created Him. You see, this one who you're putting on is being renewed. It's dynamic. It's not a, a, a static, passive garment. It is actually a living person. We are putting on a living person. When I say, Jesus, I put you on. I am dead. I live by you. I live according to you, according to your, your guidance, according to your nudgings, according to your will to please you. What I'm doing is that I'm pleasing him by, by uh, I'm putting him on by pleasing him, by following him, I'm tracking with him, keeping my mind upon him. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3 also talks about set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. If I set my mind on things on, on above and not things of the earth, what will happen is that through my mind, renewal will take place. Romans chapter 12 says, you're renewed, you're transformed by the renewing of a mind. If I set my mind towards him, that which is of Him will begin to flow into my mind and renew my personhood. What it says is this, put on the new self who is being renewed to a new knowledge, a true knowledge according to the image of one who created Him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and, 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 and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. What's happening is this, this putting on is a prayerful thing. It's a putting on by which we set our heart towards Him so that we set our minds not on who people say we are, what, what things are showing about ourselves, or ourselves, but look towards God, right? So as you have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. How? How do you do this? How, how do you actually put on? It says, put on a heart of compassion. Can you actually put on a heart of compassion? Is it possible to actually put it on? How do you actually put on a heart of compassion? How do you, where, do, where is this heart? Where do, how, do we, how do we put it on ourselves? You know what it is? It is by faith, knowing that Christ is full of compassion for the ones who perhaps you don't think deserve compassion. For the ones who you think don't even exist. To put on a heart of compassion is to, by faith, let your heart be initiated to someone who is in need of compassion. That person may be a person that you would never have any, anything to do with. It may be a person who comes into the church and immediately after church, you avoid them because you want to be with your friends. It may be a person who needs the compassion, the love of God, the justice of God. But you'd rather go with someone else because you just come to church and you've had a hard week. And because of that, you don't want to have anything to do with these people. But the Holy Spirit in you that you have put on will nudge you. And I bet you, I don't even have to tell you, the Holy Spirit will say, go pray with this person. Go talk to this person. Show that person your love. Go hug that person, even though that person may be smelly. Go and tell that person you have. Give that person your attention. And as you move your heart and move your, your, your mind towards him, you will find that person interesting. You will find that person compelling. I'm surprised by many people who talk about the justice of God, but I've not seen them actually move towards someone who needs it, actually in person. I've seen lots of talk about all these things, but I don't actually see that much. People who actually show compassion upon those who are outside of their circle. I do see some. And when I see it, I can see the life of Christ moving. I've seen it. I've seen members of VCF. Not that many, I must say, but some. My heart can see the movement of God. I can see they are not necessary people who will be paired up with these other ones. 
but because they are putting on something that they don't naturally have, they become a different person. And in doing so, God does miracles through these ones. They don't just talk about it. They don't just post about it in Facebook, but they actually do it. And you know, to put on Christ, it says put on compassion. You see somebody who you want to go after, you want to criticize, and then the Holy Spirit says put on compassion. And you can switch your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I open myself to you. Come and change. Then that moment, something takes place. There may be a struggle, but it's a struggle that you will overcome. It says, put on compassion. Not necessarily put on killers, killer, attractive, powerful uh, personas, but put a heart on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Not articulate criticism of others. Not catching them up in their faults. Not bashing people by your righteousness. But gentleness and compassion. And each time we actually enter into that, we resist the flesh. And when we lift, resist the flesh, what we do is we allow the, 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 the faith of God to, by faith, put on Christ. Before that, we didn't feel it. We didn't feel the compassion. We didn't feel the gentleness. Didn't feel the tolerance. Didn't feel the, the Christ-likeness. Didn't feel the bowels of mercy, so to speak, as the King James says. Didn't feel it. The anointing of God makes us into a different person, a man or a woman, different person. And each time we give place to that, there's a gentleness that comes and you begin to find that your personality, your character, my character, my personality begins to form and change around that particular action. It's not something that we can do in the flesh. It's something that we have to do in faith, that God will actually bring it forth. And it comes up with surprising things. As we get ready as a church, and we have people in the land, and we, we go out into the land, you'll be surprised how much impact gentleness, humility, compassion, meekness, Christ-likeness, Bearing with one another, forgiving with one another, has upon the world. Amen? What God is, is, is doing is that He's saying, put on our strength. This is our strength. Not the strength of the flesh, but the strength of the Holy Spirit. The strength of God that gives us that treasure. I want to put it to you that in these days, God is calling us to the treasure that He has given to us. And that is why if you've been called by God to VCF, one of the most important things is we learn to hear the voice of God. There's going to come a time in which in the future a shallow knowledge of God and His voice it's not going to be enough. A shallow and apprehension of His presence is not going to be enough. There are going to be times in which the sense of His presence is gone. It's not even there. And, you've only, and if you've only identified the presence of God by the sense, your sense of His presence, you will be lost. He says in the, that day, my people will know that here I am. And God wants to call us through times in which even when the sense of His presence is not there, we anchor ourselves in His Word. and We anchor ourselves in a way that is committed to Him and wait upon Him and see how He shows His presence in a very different way, in a very, very different um, um, 
uh, manner so that our sense of His presence is no longer bound up with our own emotions, our own subjectivities, just the way this, the, the shape of our own personality is. We go beyond that. Amen? There are three things that we will be focusing on. Knowing Him for who He is rather than who we hoped He would be or, or our own ideas of Him. And that becomes lots of correction in terms of our own view or vision of God. I believe that many of us can do with multiple corrections in our vision of God. We will talk about that. We will be talking about the, the distinct voice of God to be distinguished from other good voices. And we'll be talking about the presence of God as we um, continue in the next few weeks. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have a treasure. I pray for every person in BCF who has not experienced that treasure beyond the early, rudimentary, generalized, vague apprehensions of it. We ask you that you take us deep into you, that we will have solidity in our new identity in you. We welcome you, Lord. We want to know you more. We want to hear your voice more. And we want to know your presence and to work with it. So we commit ourselves to you. And we welcome you to do a deep work even today. Even as we soak in your presence, we invite you to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our souls to more ways in which you show yourself present to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have made us new. Awaken us to that. In Jesus' name, amen.